Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Good morning, Mission Church. It is such a privilege and such an honor to be before you in this way that we would open up the scriptures together to see what the Lord might have for us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to correct us if need be. Um, My hope and my prayer is that your affections for Jesus would be stirred up during this time. Uh, I want to say thank you so much to uh, Pastor Tyler and Rachel uh, for uh, giving me this opportunity to be before uh, their babies. I mean, Mission Church is, um, is um, two years old, uh, to have me come up and speak before his people is such an honor and a blessing. And so if, if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. Thank you so much for um, being with us. Um, I pray that you are blessed by the hearing of God's word and that something uh, basically meets you at the point of your need um, this morning. And so we're going to go right into the word. Uh, Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to pick up um, at verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, and this is Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So just on the onset of the text, on verse 17, it says, as he was setting out on his journey, so as Jesus was setting out, a man ran up and knelt before him. And this gospel is also, or this part of the gospel is also recorded in Luke. In Luke, we find that this man is a, a ruler. Uh, and so most likely he is a ruler of a synagogue or potentially in the Sanhedrin, uh, which is basically the Jewish Supreme Court of the time. So it was a mixture of Pharisees and Sadducees. So maybe he was one of those, which was only about 70 people at the time. So uh, nevertheless, this man had great status uh, in, in the culture. But we see him running and kneeling before Jesus. Now, why would this man who has power and money and um, was upstanding in the community um, and was upstanding when it comes to the law to be a part of uh, the ruling uh, body in the Jewish culture, you had to kind of follow the law um, to a T. Why would this man come running to Jesus? And honestly, this is not quite a good look for him, right? Like there was such a tension between Jesus, his followers, and the Jewish cultural uh, religious leaders at the time. 
So much so that when we read uh, in John um, with Nicodemus, who was a, a Pharisee, he came to Jesus as night because he was not even dared to be seen by him. And so we have this man. This is not kind of like if we were all together in church and after Pastor Tyler preaches a message and is getting ready to leave, you kind of run and stop him at the door. No, this, this right here is in public. And um, as Jesus is setting on his journey, there was an intentionality of seeking out Jesus. So why would this man, with all the money he had, with the status he has, why would he go and seek out Jesus? Now, what kind of feeling um, would he have to have felt to drive him to potentially forfeit his status with um, the religious leaders of the day. As I said, that there would be tension. I mean, he could have really been killed for treason. Um, I, I highly doubt that he was risking all of this for some intellectual or emotional stimulation, right? That there's got to be some deep level soul desperation here to risk all of that to go see a man and ask him the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So, so to kind of get the, the, the context here, um, uh, this past couple of months in this season, um, I have been starting running. And um, for good or bad, um, because I've been running, my appetite has been suppressed. So I'll go run in the morning and I definitely don't want to eat beforehand because I'll get nauseated and sick. And then after I don't want to eat. So it's like late in the afternoon, like late evening, sometimes when my appetite kicks back up. Um, and I also don't like going grocery shopping, especially in this season of COVID um, with all of the, um, the mask wearing and all the long, long, long lines. Um, and so with this, um, this past week, I found myself really hungry. So it'll just kick in like in the moment's notice and I'll be really, really hungry. And I went into the kitchen and I made a peanut butter jelly sandwich because that was the quickest thing um, that was there. And I ate a sandwich and I wasn't full. So I ate another sandwich and I became full, but I looked around and I was like, I'm not quite, not quite satisfied here. I, I wanted something else. Like, I don't know what it was, and I didn't really want to cook, but I, I wanted something else. And so I went back um, to sit down um, in the living room, and then I caught myself back up, caught myself back up in the kitchen eating something, and it was like I came to my senses. Like in Luke 15, where um, the um, prodigal son um, kind of comes to his senses, it's like, I don't know what exactly happened, but I found myself eating again, but I was full but I wasn't satisfied. So, so, so here, have you ever, any of my foodies out there, could you, like in the chat, could you just holler at me? Have, have you ever like really been eating uh, and gotten full, but then caught yourself back in the kitchen eating again because you were full, but you weren't satisfied? Hmm, you weren't satisfied. And so that is, the, that is my message this morning, the title of my message, full, but unsatisfied. So that's one issue if it's food, but what if it wasn't, it's not food that we're seeking after? What if it's something in life? So, 
So this man um, who is young, he's a rich ruler, so has, and has great status in, the, in uh, that culture and time, um, spends a lot of time in the synagogue. That's where he works. He's, he's basically, I would say, probably um, uh, working at a church. He's on staff at a church. So he is full, full ministry, right? I wonder how long had he been going to church worship services feeling like this, where his life may have been full, full of money, full of power, full of status, but yet so unsatisfied that he would run, risk everything that he had in order to have an encounter with Jesus. I wonder how many times had he resisted temptation? How many scriptures had he memorized? How much money had he given to the church? How many times had he fasted? How many small groups was he a part of? Oh, I'm coming for you today. How many uh, times had he been serving on mission kids? Shout out to uh, the best uh, mission youth kids pastor, Josh Harper, period. How long had he been serving on the setup and teardown team? How, how many coffee meetups had he been to um, feeling this type of way? Is there anybody who is listening to me right now that can uh, testify to the fact that you can be full of life, but at the same time, be unsatisfied? Hmm. So, so my prayer um, is that this message would stir your affections for Jesus, that Jesus would be the one that would fill your cup this morning. And so would you take a moment um, with me and let's just uh, seek the, the King of Kings right now. Lord, we thank you uh, for the privilege to open your word. What a privilege it is to view um, this message anytime, God, um, because Despite the pandemic, even though we're not sitting next to each other, Lord, there are still benefits um, that you are calling to your people through uh, the TV screen, through the YouTube, through Facebook, God. And so we want to say thank you so much for still having access to your word. God, would you stir our affections for you? God, would you move us in the direction that you want us to move in, Lord? God, things that might be filling our lives but leaving us unsatisfied, would you remove those so that we could seek more of you? God, that we would rest in you. In Jesus' name, I pray. So this message is both for the one who does, does intimately know Jesus and has a relationship with him, and for the one who, you, you don't know Jesus yet. Um, and I hope by the end of this message, the end of our time together, that you would see Jesus as supremely good and worth all praise, glory, and adoration. And from that, it's a feeling that no one else can give you. So we pick back up um, verse uh, 17, and so there, there's still a sense in which this man kneels before Jesus, runs and kneels before Jesus, and gives him a certain level of respect, but still at the same time feeling unsatisfied. I wonder how many of us would say that we would respect Jesus, but still not quite be satisfied by him, that there is a level of which we know that the word of God is good for us and we know that going to church is, is good for us and we're, we're doing these things that would show some honor to the Lord but at the same time still feeling empty, not quite fully there. Um, so, so here he asks him a question. He goes, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this good teacher 
Uh, it's not like one of my students coming up to me and at the end of class saying, oh my goodness, Mr. Teasley, you're such a good teacher. I was wondering if you could help me with um, what two plus two is, right? This, this is not the same level. This right here, this level of what she's calling um, Jesus good has reached down into the depths of his nature. He's calling him totally good, like in view of the law, in view of um, his relationship with God. Like this is a deep down character good, um, not just wow, you are skilled with your words, but this is meeting to the character. And um, so we're going to pick up this in, in a moment because it's going to be really important about the man's perspective of Jesus. But the, the thing where I want to rest here is the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this whole message hinges on this. You, you got to get this right here, that we cannot miss this question. The essence of the question is the whole point of the gospel message, the whole point of the life that we are living so if you miss the answer to this question, the importance of this question, your eternity will be pointless. Living this life will be worth nothing. You won't understand who you are. You'll be left with always wanting more. So the awesome thing about the answer to the question is we don't have to do hermeneutical backflips, if you will, with the text in order uh, for us to really uh, highlight what does eternal life really mean? What does it entail? Why is it so important? Jesus makes it plain for us. Come on, Jesus, make it plain, make it plain, make it plain. In John 17, 3, I love this. It says, and this is eternal life. Come on, Jesus, make it plain for us, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So knowing God is life. To live is to know him. They're synonymous. So to lose relationship with him is death. To be separated from God is, is death. And so um, we actually see this truth expressed in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis um, when Adam and Eve sinned. Um, if you, we pick up in Genesis chapter 2, take a quick aside, um, in verse 17, where uh, God is telling Adam about the garden, right? And he, he says to him that you shouldn't eat um, of this particular tree. Every other tree you can eat of, but don't eat of the tree of, uh, of um, the knowledge of good and evil. And he says specifically in Genesis 2, 17, it says, the day that you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. I want you, I'm going to read that again because it's going to be really important. The day, the very day you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. Okay, okay, okay. So it says, now this is extremely interesting to me because Adam and Eve, um, when they ate of the fruit in chapter 3, um, which they weren't supposed to do, they didn't quite die. Or did they? So, so I think the answer to the question of like, did they die or not? When God clearly said in his word that the very day you eat of this fruit of the tree that I told you not to eat of, you're going to die. Um, if we pick back uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, and right after they had eaten um, of the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, 
it says that the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, but the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, the question, where are you, as uh, probably many of you have heard um, in previous sermons or, or biblical teaching, um, God is omniscient, and I, I don't believe that God didn't know where they, were, where they were, but I think it's more indicative of the fact that Adam and Eve were now where God was not, that there was a separation that happened to them um, between God, the presence of the Lord, and Adam and Eve when disobedience entered the picture. Um, and so really what this picture shows, of us, shows us is as sin into the world and Adam and Eve disobeyed, the death was not necessarily a physical death, even though that is part of it. But when he said the, the day that you eat of the tree, there is a separation between our relationship because of sin. And so... Um, and, and it's really important that when we're talking about knowing God, being in relationship with God, this know here in the Greek back in uh, the text um, of, of John where it says, and this is eternal life, to know, to know God, that know is the Greek word gnosko. Um, you can say that with me. Can you say that at home? Gnosko. Um, gnosko actually is talking about an experiential knowledge or an intimate knowledge, something that um, happens as you walk something out, as you live something out. That is the knowledge that comes through experience and potentially, um, not potentially, but specifically, uh, it highlights an intimacy because in Matthew one twenty five, the same Greek word is used to describe the knowing between a husband and wife um, you get the picture. Amen. So there's an intimacy that is um, prevalent here in this word. And so when we're talking about knowing Jesus, to know God, it really does mean to have intimate relationship with him as you walk this life out intimately with him, submitting to him, knowing that he is your Lord and Savior, to know that deeply rooted as you live this life out is, in fact, eternal life. That in and of itself is eternal life. Um, to kind of give you an um, example of this, now, uh, in many ways, I'm not a big um, sports analogy fan. Um, sorry, Pastor Tyler. Um, but to be honest with you, to kind of give you a, a little insight in uh, who I am, um, so many times Pastor Tyler will say, uh, we're going to harden paint. And at first, I thought that he was saying, go harder than paint. And I'm thinking, oh, it's a construction term, right? That like it, paint is hard to get off walls or whatever. No, no, no. It's a basketball term. Um, that means that uh, in the paint, like the basketball, uh, basketball player is going hard and driving in the paint, uh, in the key to make the, the basket. Uh, I think that's my, uh, that's the right understanding. Correct me if I'm wrong in the chat. But um, so much to say that um, when there are sports analogies, sometimes I don't quite get it. So I'm going, not going to assume that everybody's going to, going to, uh, to know this particular reference, but I, it's going to be so, so helpful. So I'm going to break this down for you. So a couple of years uh, ago, this big thing on Twitter uh, and social media started where it was hashtag Ball is life. Now, if you heard of that, could you just put that in the chat? Hashtag ball is life. So um, 
this hashtag ball is life, I'm going to read you a definition because I Googled this. Um, when it became prevalent, this was people who were saying that uh, basketball is life, that to use the hashtag ball is life, um, and I'm going to read it verbatim because it's going to be really key here uh, in just a moment. It's, this definition says, sometimes ball is lifers are extremely devoted to the sport of basketball. Um, ball is life doesn't just signify being a fan of the game. It represents someone who loves and lives for the game, plays as much as they can, thinks about playing when they can't, and finds their meaning of their life through basketball. They are marked and they are known by their passion, joy, and love of the game. So I thought about this and I was like, wait a second. What about the Christian? What about, if you will, the Christ is lifer? Come on, hashtag Christ is lifer. Um, so in the same way, the Christian or the Christ is lifer is extremely devoted to Jesus. The Christian doesn't just signify being a fan of Jesus. It represents someone who loves and lives for Jesus and finds their meaning of life through Jesus. They are marked and known by their passion, joy, and love of Jesus. So, so the, and, and you could fill in any of those for the basketball, right? You could fill any of those um, spots where it says uh, ball is life with, I don't know, music is life. You know, there are so many people who, um, who write and create music and they spend their time um, thinking about music that they are writing. Um, they make whole careers. Their whole life revolves around the music that they are, are writing. They wake up singing. They go to sleep singing. Anybody know any of those people? Or how about gamers? Let me tell you this. Um, when I was uh, teaching, one of the biggest things uh, and during teaching during COVID was fighting kids who were so obsessed with gaming. I mean, I had a conversation with a parent in which uh, the parent said that uh, the child really had a hard time because they were going to bed at five and six in the morning because they were playing video games all night long. So much so that uh, there were so many kids who would watch people play video games on YouTube. I, I, I mean, I, I I get maybe playing the game for a little bit, but now we're talking about people watching and critiquing. Even to go as far as I know people who watch people, watch people play games, where they are watching the reaction of someone else playing the video game. I, I, I just can't quite fathom that. But how much more um, for the Christian, how uh, we wake up thinking about Jesus and what he's done for us. And then in the noonday, uh, someone doesn't have to, we don't have to go too much farther in the day uh, to re be reminded of how God woke us up and put food on our table and clothes on our back. Um, and then as we uh, go throughout our day, how we have breath in our body and um, we have use of our limbs. And then when we lay down at night to thank God that we have a roof over our head. I, I don't know about you, but I also can relate in the sense of um, uh, I love Jesus so much so that he has produced something in me um, to have a heart after him um, where I am. I, I want to be at the church doors, that I, I want to be uh, singing worship songs to him. And so what well, we realize here that I, I, I want to make a crucial point that you can replace ball is life uh, with music is life. You can replace ball is life with gaming is life. But here's the issue. 
Jesus is not another hobby that we can pick up or put down. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Not to know him is death. Jesus puts it this way in John 14 uh, and 6. He says, I am the way. <laughs> he says, I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes uh, to the Father but by me. What he's saying is he says, I am the way, not a way. He says, I am the truth, not a truth. I am the life, not a life. So this is, this is not a hobby that um, people pick up, but he is a person to be honored, to be reverenced, to be enjoyed. And so when we're really talking about what separates us from God, we, we call that sin. And I, I wanted to highlight one of my favorite quotes uh, from um, Pastor John Piper. And this kind of highlights what sin is, like what separates us, what causes this death. And it says, he says it like this, um, what is sin? It is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not treasured, the presence of God, not prize, the person of God, not love. That is sin. That namely, it is the um, nature of our heart's disposition toward God, not just um, our symptom of disobedience or our behavior. And so really what separates us from God um, when we're talking about sin, like I said, is not just the outward behavior, but it describes the inward state of being that rejects God. Um, and so really it, it is our orientation toward the Lord. So even if we do something good, that if it's not grounded in honoring and pleasing the Lord, um, it still is not honoring and pleasing to the Lord. That is the definition of, of sin. And so when we, 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 going back to the text of Mark here, so we, we get this picture. So he's asking, what must I do to inherit eternal, eternal life? Um, and he says, good teacher. And so um, Jesus responds to him in verse 18 and says, why do you call me good? He says, no one is good except God alone. So here, Jesus is actually already answering his question of what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's two important things that he addresses, that Jesus addresses here um, in answering his question. One is he addresses his perception of who Jesus is. And the second is he addresses the man's need of a savior. So the first thing in answering his question by saying, um, no one is good except God alone. Um, he's addressing his perception of Jesus because um, Jesus is not saying that you shouldn't call me good because I'm not God. But what he's saying is you are not proper in calling me good unless you recognize me as God. So there, was, there is right there, Jesus is confronting his perception of who he is. And what that tells me is 
God, is there any ways in me in which I am perceiving you uh, in a way that is restricting my ability to grow in knowledge of you, to experience the richness of your presence? Because um, to not acknowledge who Jesus really truly is will disconnect you and leave you unsatisfied. So the number one thing why uh, this man was unsatisfied was because of his perception of who Jesus was. Um, Because in order for him to call him good, he must recognize that he is God. Uh, The second point is that he addresses the man's need of a savior. Um, Given the truth that no one is good except God alone also means that this young man, this ruler of the law of the um, um, Mosaic law here, this follower, in spite of his status, in spite of his well, and in spite of his strict adherence, is not good. He himself is not good. This is crucial because there's a huge misunderstanding that this man had about inheritance. You cannot earn inheritance. Inheritance is gifted when someone dies. So this man was really asking, what must I do to merit eternal life? Not inherit eternal life. This is so vital to um, understanding our life that's found in Christ because your right standing with God is on the sole foundation of Jesus' sufficient sacrifice on the cross and not our obedience or our goodness of our own. And so he was addressing the fact that one, you must recognize that Jesus is God. Two, he's saying here that you yourself are not good. And so there is no way where you would be even able to merit eternal life. But it's a free gift, as Romans 6, uh, 23 says, it's a free gift of God. Um, Because of his death, we inherited um, the right relationship, being in right relationship with the Lord. Um, And so if if, um, Paul, Paul says it like this in Romans 5, uh, 9 through 10. It says, we are justified, made right with God, reconciled with God by Jesus's blood. It says we are reconciled by God um, by his son's death. So if that's not clear enough, we can also flip over to where Paul in Titus chapter 3 says, he saved us not by works done in righteousness. So it's nothing solely based. It's nothing based on what I do or what will I do or what I don't do or can't do, but it's truly based on what he's already done. What power does your do have if it's not rest in what he's done? And so um, here uh, we, we see Jesus pick back up in the text and he says, fine. He, he pulls a really a teacher move here. Because uh, many times when I'm, when I'm teaching in the classroom, um, a student will have an answer. Um, and in order for me to really kind of get in their, their, their head um, what the, the true concept is, we usually allow them to kind of go in that rabbit hole of the, right, of the wrong answer in order for them to kind of wake up and be like, oh, I see, versus just telling them. And this is kind of what Jesus does. He picks up his framework because it goes right into the law. Um, he says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Uh, do not defraud or honor your father and mother. Uh, uh, and he says, teacher, I've done this. I've kept these from my youth. So 
Um, here, Jesus is confronting his need of a savior uh, because as we can see here, um, down in verse uh, number um, 21, he says that you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And he goes and leaves. So namely, he couldn't even keep the first commandment, which says that you shouldn't have any God before me, that wealth was in a place where it should not be. Even though wealth or money um, in and of itself may not be bad, if we put it in a position where Jesus should be, that is going to hinder us from ever having eternal life, to experience the goodness and the richness of God's word. So uh, in, this, in this, though, um, it's really, really important because sometimes obedience um, really gets a bad rap. And what I mean by that is that uh, this understanding of obedience and to say that, okay, uh, I don't have to necessarily do anything, which is totally true, in order to earn uh, the love of God. You don't earn the love of God. Uh, but what, what role does obedience have then? Um, the uh, understanding of like this, of saying that I have to do, 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 or perform, 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 really robs the joy of obedience. Um, so many of you, uh, so many of us view obedience as more of a burden than a blessing. But, but here throughout scripture, there is such a connection between knowing God and obeying God. First John 2 and 5 says, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So, so here it seems like um, obeying God's word, keeping God's word is the means by which God's love is perfected in our lives. That obedience really is the gift to the believer to experience the richness of being in relationship with him. Um, he says it like this, um, Jesus does, Back in John 15, uh, he says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So there, there is a connection between my obedience to the Lord and my joy in experiencing his love and knowing the Lord. It's, it's like this, going back to the ball is lifer. Um, the ball, for the ball is lifer, the love of the game fuels their desire to play, practice, and get better at basketball. Likewise, playing, practicing, and getting better at basketball fuels their love of the game. It's cyclic here. So in the same way, the, um, my love for the Lord fuels my obedience. And then my obedience fuels the love of the Lord. Like I get joy when I get to obey the Lord because it's, it's not, I'm not obeying the Lord um, out of some um, effort of mine to earn his love or to earn salvation or to earn my relationship with him. But because I'm in relationship with him, I want to please him. And in me doing that, I find the richness of his presence to be even more present in my life. And so really what we have here in this particular text is obedience minus relational intimacy leads to legalism. 
So while obedience may not uh, affect my relationship to God as his child, um, obedience totally affects my fellowship with him as a child. So that the, uh, the more I obey him, the more I want to obey him, the more I am really being enthralled by his presence and enjoying the riches of his presence. Uh, if you don't believe me, you can read uh, Psalms 119. The whole thing is talking about how he loves the law of the Lord, how this psalmist loves to meditate on his law day and night, that there is a richness to be found in obeying the Lord. And so um, here we, we, we pick up back at the text, um, verse uh, 21, and it says that Jesus was looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So so this is, like I said before, this is where the young ruler fails because his misvaluing of Christ, he has chosen his possessions as a greater worth. This is the first commandment that you should have no other gods before, before me. So this is idolatry. But the scary part is, is that this idolatry was um, backed up by the cultural belief that the more money you had in that society, the better or the more favor of God that you had. And so this is scary because um, there are some things that we know, that we know that we know that isn't pleasing to God or is not getting us closer to God. But what about those things in our lives where we are under the impression that it validates intimacy with God, but all at the same time, really it's stifling our relationship with the Lord, our intimacy with the Lord. That's a place of reflection. Like, Lord, is there any thoughts in me? Is there any way in me where I think it's causing me to get you, get me closer to you, but it's actually drawing me away from you? Is there any person um, that I'm connected with? Is there any pursuit of career or academics or, or grades? Or is there anything that um, is in my life that I'm thinking is validating um, me being in relationship with you, but all the same time, it's taking me away from you? And so, um, here's where I want to close. And so um, usually, you know, the worship team would come up. So if you're at home, you can just say, Alexa, um, play anointed spiritual music. And so that's how we're going to end our time. Um, if you want some music instrumental in the background for this. Um, but my question is where Jesus says, you lack one thing. And he then tells him that, you need to go and sell all of your possessions. How is that possible for me to say, Jesus says, you lack one thing, so here's what you need to do. You need to get rid of more stuff. That, I don't, I don't quite understand that. So, so really, the, the answer to this question of what must I um, do to inherit eternal life it's found in the issue that he, where he's lacking. And, and, and we see this slightly in the text where he says, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor. And it's the last part of this verse that answers this question. Come, follow me. That is what he was lacking. 
he was lacking Jesus. So what he gained was was going to be a relationship with him, that there was an invitation to him. So, So in order for that invitation to happen, he had to take out where wealth was in his life and reorder his priorities to say, no, really to follow Jesus is the greatest endeavor that my life um, purpose could ever have. So what is amazing to me is that in the midst of this man's lack, in the midst of this man's failure, to never be good enough, Jesus says you couldn't even keep the law if you wanted to. He would look on him and love him. That no matter where you are in this pandemic season of life, that the Lord sees you for all that you are, you're thinking that you've made too many mistakes. You're thinking that um, the Lord, um, if you really knew me, he wouldn't want me. But in this text, he's saying, I see you and loved him. And here's the thing that really got me. He still invited him to come have a relationship with him. He, he didn't do anything. He, he couldn't be good enough as Jesus called, out, uh, called him out on it. But yet there was still an invitation. And today Jesus is offering you that same invitation. The invitation of, would you come and follow me? Can I fill your cup? Yeah, there's things in it that we're going to need to, gra- to take out so that you can really be satisfied by me. And, and so this morning, um, as we transition here and, we, and we're in our time together, um, if you don't know Jesus and you want to have this relationship with him, do you want this eternal life? Again, there's nothing you can do to merit eternal life, but it's a free gift of God that is received through a yes. And, and this is what the Bible says of how, how do we accept this invitation of Jesus? It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that one believes and is justified, and it's with the mouth that you confess. So I I ask you and implore you this morning, um, would you say yes to the invitation? If that's you this morning, would you just, uh, there's multiple ways that you can do this, but one is, would you just put in the chat, say, yes, I say yes to the invitation of Jesus to come follow him, to be fully satisfied by the richness of his presence. Another way, if you're sitting with people around you um, that are believers, would you say, hey, I want to say yes this morning, and and hopefully they will lead you in prayer um, and and pray with you. And and then another thing is you can also go on the website and say yes to Jesus um, on missionchurchca.com, and and a pastor will follow up with you or or give someone a call that you know um, follows Jesus, and and hopefully they'll, they'll pray with you. But this moment, don't take light of it that Really, this is the start of being fully satisfied in Christ. That all you have to do is say yes to the invitation. Let, let's pray.
God, we say thank you this morning um, for allowing your word to search in the depths of our hearts to know, God, that there was some unrest, that we weren't fully satisfied with, with, with life. And so even if those of us who do have a relationship with you um, are, are intimate with you, God, would you search our lives to see if there's anything in us, God, that is not pleasing to you or detracting from our intimacy with you. God, would you grow us in that, in the name of Jesus? And God, for those of, uh, of us who have just said yes to your invitation this morning, God, I pray for those, God, that you would continue to do that work, God, that you would shower them with your grace, your love, and your peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.